Well, today, after a two-week detour into the book of Mark where we joined with the Lord to experience with Him His sufferings, His death, and His resurrection, today we're going to return to our ongoing study in this precious book of Luke. And we're studying in Luke chapter 5, so if you want to be looking at your Bible. If you recall that when we left off, Jesus was teaching this great crowd of people who had been drawn to Him by the Holy Spirit to hear Him there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's called the Sea of Gennesaret, but it's a, that's a small town on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And these people, their need was so great to hear the Lord Jesus and to be near Him that He had to get into a boat and push off shore a little distance in order to have room to teach these folks. And let's pick up our reading there in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 4. When he, this is the Lord Jesus, had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets were breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be fishers of men. So when they had brought the boat to land, they forsook all and followed him. They forsook all and followed him. Folks, for me, it is so fascinating as I observe the Lord Jesus as he steps on forward out into this ministry that God the Father had sent him here to the earth to accomplish. Line after line and verse after verse, these scriptures reveal more and more to us of exactly who Jesus is. This God-man, this Son of Man, but also Son of God. And as he began to attract and to call disciples to himself, to learn of him and to walk with him as he would carry out all that God the Father had ordained for him to do. More and more is revealed about this Savior, the Lord Jesus. Now to say that Jesus was also fully human, just like you and me, with most all of the same frailties and needs as ours, is a strange thought to me. It's a strange thought to me, but it is true in every way. He hungered, he thirsted, he became tired, and yes, he was tempted to sin just as we are tempted. But he never wrongly gave in to any of those weaknesses or failures. He simply responded to the matters of daily life in the way that each of us was intended to respond. But with that being said, it is also obvious that Jesus brought with him other qualities and abilities into this life 
Recall that in the book of Acts and then also in the book of John and in the book of Colossians and in other places. We're told that Jesus was the very one who created not only everything that existed upon this earth, but also the earth itself, the very ground that he was walking on. He had created it. And not only did he create everything, we're also told that it is in him and by him that everything is held together and sustained every day. The very air that we breathe, the very ability for us to breathe is daily being controlled and sustained by him. Let me give you some of those references. In the book of John, chapter 1, we're told that in the beginning was the Word. He's referred to there, the Lord Jesus is, as the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. And without Him nothing was made that has been made. And in Him was life, and in that life was the light of men. That was the line in one of the songs we just heard, that light. And that light shines in the darkness, but the darkness cannot overcome it. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the only begotten Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then also in Colossians chapter 1, that although Jesus was in this bodily form of a lowly man, we're told there that He is still the image of the invisible God. Jesus said one time, If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. He was the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him, and here he restates it again, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in the heavens, making peace by the blood of his cross. Then listen to this next reference. This is in the book of Acts, chapter 17. I love these words. 17, Acts 17, verse 26. For from one man, he, Jesus, made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and listen to these words. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they would live. Have you ever thought about that? He determined the exact time set today. Today. And the exact places where you would live goes on in verse 27 to say, God did this so that men would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He's not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and we move and we have our being. That's this Jesus, this man that was standing there on this boat teaching the people and telling Peter how to fish. It's also God. Folks, those truths, those words of truth that I just read. They predominate all of the other thoughts that we might think or believe about Jesus. He was and He is from everlasting to everlasting. The Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end of all things. So then, 
as we begin to see Jesus perform miracles such as with this miraculous catch of fish, we really should not wonder or doubt. For the one who created all things and holds it all together, folks, a few fish in a net is no great task. But it was a great task to Peter and to the others that were watching that day. It was a miracle beyond any comprehension on their part. And such things should also be great for you and me. Because Jesus is great. He was and He is great beyond our ability to comprehend Him. And all of His works should astound us daily. If we'll just look around it. If we have eyes to see and ears to hear, we'll see Him doing things every day in our lives. And it should astound us. And that was one of the purposes for His miracles in those days. He needed to impact the minds and the hearts of those future disciples in a, such a profound way that there would be an unquestionable belief and knowledge that He truly was the Son of God. And beginning here, as we just read on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, His miracles did exactly that. And yes, over the years to come, the faith of these men would at times falter, and falter badly sometimes. But all in all, the disciples truly were beginning to understand and to accept who Jesus really was. And the proof of that is that almost every one of the disciples chose a martyr's death rather than to deny him. And there are a few people, folks, few people who would make that kind of choice if they didn't really believe that Jesus was who he says he is. And again, as we read about this encounter with Peter and James and John and the miracle of the fishes, we can see that that miracle had its desired effect. An irresistible claim was placed upon their hearts and their souls by God's Holy Spirit. It was a claim and a calling that these disciples would obey for the rest of their lives. How do we know that? We know because of their response. These men immediately forsook all. They forsook all of the things that were important to them in this life. They left it all behind to follow Jesus. In those first moments, most likely none of them really fully understood Jesus' words and that compelling force that was taking place within them to go and follow Him. But they followed Him anyway. And folks, that is the mark of faith and the mark of a true disciple. To forsake the comforts and the amenities of this life in favor of a life with Christ. And we see that taking place all through these scriptures with different men and women. The patriarch Abraham, he did that. He had no idea where God was calling him to go or what God was calling him to do, but he went anyway. He picked up his family and he left the land of the Chaldees, and he journeyed to Canaan. That was going to be the future home of these children of Israel. Abraham was a true disciple. And it's said of Abraham that Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. Now here also Peter, James, and John, they were doing as Abraham did. And they believed Jesus. And their belief would also be accounted unto them as righteousness. And as we're told here, they forsook all to follow Jesus. 
They forsook all to follow Jesus. What exactly do those words mean? They forsook all to follow Jesus. Some preachers have ventured to say that the disciples abandoned everything, even all of their responsibilities, their business of fishing, their families, and every other earthly pursuit. They just abandoned it that moment. But folks, in knowing and trusting all of the other truths that are written in these words of Scripture, we know that abandoning everything, and especially their families, probably did not really take place in that way. They didn't just walk away from all of it, never to speak to their wives and children again. No, I believe that it happened differently. Now, yes, the tenor and the content of the, their daily lives, they changed course completely. And yes, without doubt, the desires of their hearts changed. They abandoned their earthly ambitions and pursuits, especially all of those things that us men seem to count so dear and so important to us. Some job that we value or other such things of this earth. But listen, truly godly men would never abandon their responsibilities to their families. And these scriptures tell us so. Yea, they even command us, especially us men, to love and provide for our families. Listen to these words. Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loves her, washing her with the water of the word to present her holy and blameless before his throne. And then 1 Peter 3, we're told there that husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wife. Treat her with respect as a weaker partner and as heir with you in the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And he says to us as fathers for our children in Proverbs 22, he says to train up our children in the way they should go. And when they're old, they'll not depart from it. And listen to this. 1 Timothy 5, 8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel, an unbeliever. These responsibilities to family do not cease when we become Christian disciples or missionaries. In fact, they become all the more important. But I've heard some argue, oh, well, what about those words in Luke chapter 14 that says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. But folks, listen, let me say strongly. We must understand that these scriptures are all in one accord. None of them conflict with another. A husband cannot love his wife as Christ commands us to there in Ephesians 5. And at the same time, hate her as we might think this Luke 14 scripture seems to say. And he cannot properly care for her. A husband cannot properly care for her if he completely forsakes and abandons her. So then, how can these scriptures be reconciled with each other? The reconciliation comes only through the intervention of the Holy Spirit who lives within each believer's heart. The Holy Spirit explains to a believer exactly what Jesus means when he says these hard sayings such as this about hating your 
father and mother, your wife, your children. In these words, listen, in these words, Jesus is not speaking about that kind of emotionally charged hatred that we too often experience. That's not what he's talking about. He is instead speaking about how a man or a woman is to value their loved ones within their relationship to God. Let me say that again. In these words, Jesus is speaking about how a man or a woman is to value their loved one within their relationship to God. All people, men and women alike, must honor the first commandment and to place no other gods before the one living and true Almighty God. But an argument would be given that, well, our loved ones are not gods. Oh, but listen, while that's true, we really must always be careful, else we can unknowingly elevate those dear ones to that level within our hearts and our minds. I've seen it take place so many times in marriages. It is all a matter of how we value them within our relationship to God. Now consider what I'm saying here for a moment. We can easily place someone or something, or our jobs, us men do that often, above God. And that puts that person and that ambition above God. And it therefore becomes no less, no less than a God to us. That's exactly what these scriptures warn us about. And that is exactly what the first commandment prohibits. In our culture today, we men often abandon our families in favor of work. We do that. We should not, but we do. And as we do that, we often abandon our relationship also with the Lord. Because we're a little bit too busy. Church becomes a drudgery to us. And those private times with our family where we would do devotional times, they get left behind. Prayer time with our family gets left behind. Church also becomes, again, less and less important to us. And our attendance less and less frequent. Now, in that manner of speaking, our work... Our work has become a God to us. It dictates our working hours, our ambitions, and even the value that we place upon our own self and upon our loved ones. In the same way, wives and mothers, listen, wives and mothers can place too high value and attention upon their husbands, and especially their children, and especially when their children are small. And yes, it's right to love and to serve them with all of our hearts, but very often that love goes in a wrong direction. And God then must take a second place or a third place to that beloved family member. And again, we must be very careful. A God can take on many different forms and circumstances. The rule is, the rule is, if we serve it, it is our master and it is our God. So then, as Jesus asked Peter and the other disciples to come and follow him, he was telling them to put all those matters put all of those matters of their life into the proper perspective. Christ first, then their families, and then their work. But also, and especially for these men, their vocation was going to change completely. These men would now become fishers of men. So then, as Peter, James, and John forsook all to follow Jesus, we can also understand that as they took up their new vocation... They did not completely abandon the responsibilities to their families. Yes, their lifestyles and their daily activities changed completely. 
And yes, they were going to be away from home more and more as they would go out and minister to people. But they would not completely abandon their families. Another question might arise. But if these men left their nets, their employment, how would their families be provided for? Folks, listen. If God can provide food and water for the children of Israel for 40 years, and if Jesus can feed 5,000 people on five loaves and a couple of fishes, then feeding and providing for a few family members is no great task. I recall as my wife and I left my former employment as a banker, I wondered about all this. How are we going to survive off of Christian work pay, whether that be missionary or working in any of the Christian organizations? Very low pay, generally. But I had to come to this conclusion that God was going to take care of us. May I also mention that this is a thought that's not in Scripture, but I believe that it's biblically safe to assume. And that is, I believe that it would be consistent with God's character to assume that no, Peter, James, and John did not simply leave that massive catch of fish lying there in that boat to decay and to go to waste. That catch of fish, folks, was a sweet gift from God. And its value would go a long way towards helping to support those men and their families as they would go out and travel. So then, while it's not said here, it seems more consistent with all the other scriptures to assume that God would have others of these men's business relationships. Here in verse 7, he calls them partners to tend to this great catch of fish. And also, perhaps even to keep some of the fishing business going to help support their families. I don't know that. My assumptions are not stated in this, these scriptures. And you may want to believe otherwise. But I am personally very comfortable with believing that God's calling on these men into the ministry did not include their complete abandonment of all of their responsibilities, especially their responsibilities to their families. That's not consistent with the other scriptures. But even more than that, that God would make a gracious provision for their loved ones. But also, you might ask, well, what about the emotional loss that takes place while those disciples walk around the countryside ministering to other people and making disciples while their family is at home? Folks, the Holy Spirit is filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness. He can and He will place all of those things within the hearts of those wives and children while those husbands are away on their missionary journeys. Wives and children can live and grow up very normal and very happy. The only condition is that they must also surrender their hearts over to Christ. To surrender their thoughts and their desires and their emotions over to Christ. And to the degree that they would do that, then happiness and contentment would fill their lives while their husbands and fathers were away. So then... To say that Peter, James, and John, and soon others forsook all to follow Jesus was very true. It was very true. But it was no loss to anyone. It was no loss to anyone. It was instead an exciting 
and wonderful gain for them all. And that's the point of one last thought that I'd like to share with you before we close. Any perceived loss on the part of Peter's wife and family would be far more overcome by the differences that would take place within Peter's heart. How would that be so? There's a very simple truth that's always present as someone truly gives their heart in relationship with Christ. And that is, they are changed. You cannot be in the presence of Christ and not be changed. When we surrender our hearts, our souls, our minds, our spirits to Christ, we begin to be changed into His image. Peter would now become the godly man and the loving husband and father that he should have been all along. He was a brusque man, but he was going to change into the image of Christ, full of those blessed fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, goodness. So then, there is no loss. There is no loss at all to follow Christ. There is gain beyond measure. Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be fishers of men.